You are listening to Her Time to Retire, a podcast dedicated to helping women gain the knowledge, confidence, and support they need to achieve financial success and emotional fulfillment when planning for retirement. If you are ready to finally take charge of your financial life, then keep listening. Your hosts are Glenn Price and Jonathan Scott founders of Keystone Financial Resources in Brentwood, Tennessee. Both men specialize in crafting individualized retirement plans for women and have a passion for helping women discover and achieve their retirement goals. Glenn is a husband and father of four who was taught early in life through his relationship with his grandmother how a woman can not only take charge of her own destiny, but also positively influence the lives of her family and friends that surround her. Jonathan, husband and father of three, attributes his own success to the strong women in his life, including his wife Brooke and his mother Suzanne. Both men together want to help more women live out their dreams in retirement. As always, if you have retirement questions, their phone lines are open at 615-661-9554, or you can visit their website to browse information, view upcoming events, or subscribe to the Her Time to Retire weekly newsletter. Just visit www.keystonefinancialresources.com. Now relax and enjoy the conversation. Well, I want to welcome everyone to Her Best Retirement Podcast, where we help women to learn how to take control of their finances and their destinies. I'm Glenn Price, one of the owners of Keystone Financial Resources. I'm going to be your host today, and I'm here with our guest, Sarah Skillen, and we're going to talk about organization today. Uh, Sarah is a certified organizer coach, certified professional organizer, and an Evernote certified consultant. She's the founder of Skillset Coaching and Organizing based in Franklin, Tennessee, And her passion is supporting clients in finding their own unique systems for life, business, learning, transitions, and leadership. She's a member of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals since 2012. She served as a NAPO ambassador for Tennessee, chaired their awards and recognition committee, and currently serves as president of the NAPO Nashville chapter. Sarah's also a regular speaker and facilitator, and her writing has appeared in Angie's List Experts, Unconditionally Her Magazine, Music City Mom's blog, and her own blog, The Stuff Behind the Stuff. She's the author of Organizing and Big Scary Goals, Working with Discomfort and Doubt to Create Real-Life Order. She lives in Franklin, Tennessee with her husband. She has two teenagers and two extraordinarily productive and focused Labrador Retrievers. Sarah, welcome to our podcast today. Wow, there's a lot. You, how, did you, how do you have time to do all this stuff? Oh, I don't know. Just managing my time well, I guess. Managing you your time well. Me. You bet. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Won't you uh, tell us a little bit about you and how you got started uh, doing what you do? That's, that's a great place to start. So I actually, uh, many years ago, started out in education. I was a music teacher for many years also a performing musician. Um, After a little while, decided to start looking around at some other things, try some new things, became a paralegal. And that was a really interesting shift for me, going from sort of the music part of my brain and the teaching part of my brain to the more um, linear, checking things off a list, very organized, very orderly type work. 
And as a paralegal, I worked in everything from a huge law firm to uh, a sole practitioner office. And what I found working in all those different environments was the common thing that, that stood out to me was how people's environments affect the way they work and the way they live. When I was teaching, I noticed a direct effect between or a correlation between the way the students performed and behaved and the way I had the room set up. Mm-hmm. If I didn't take care to have things in an organized fashion when they walked through the door, I wasn't exactly a physically intimidating teacher. And so part of my classroom management was just to make the space so organized that they would be focused and ready to get down to work as soon as they walked in the room. And I think it was true in my other professional environments as well, that when we are in uh, a well-organized and well-ordered space, we can get our work done more easily. We can live more easily. We can make our choices more easily. And Mm -hmm. so when I was searching for, uh, I I wanted to be able to start my own business. I wanted to have Mm -hmm. flexibility and be able to have time with my kids and my husband. And so I literally Googled, what can you do if you're organized? Because that seemed to be a common theme. And that's when I came across the profession. That's when I came across NAPO, which is the organization I'm a member of. And uh, the rest is history. I took classes. I learned. I practiced. I hung out a shingle. And now here I am. And now there you are. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. Well, you know, organizing, uh, you and I were talking the other day about the importance of being organized. And I think you made a comment that it costs money to be disorganized. You know, we are financial advisors and Jonathan and I are working with clients to help them, uh, you know, build a plan to be organized, to know where things are. uh, And it makes such a difference. I know just uh, emotionally for clients when when they've got things organized. But that was really interesting when you said that you said it cost money to be disorganized. Talk about that for just a moment, because I think that's interesting that will get people's attention because it's true when you think about it. Yeah, it's absolutely true. It's one of the main reasons to reach out for organizing help because, I mean, it's everything from time wasted searching for things. It's spending money replacing things that you've lost due to disorganization. I was looking at a study just the other day that reflects that on average, Americans lose about two and a half days a year searching for things they've lost and it ends up costing americans about 2.7 billion a year yeah wow (laughs) replacing i know it's amazing yeah replacing things that they they've lost and you know so obviously there's an impact there but but things that i have noticed just in my work with clients noticing things like if we're going through paperwork we i see the late fees when people aren't on top of their bill paying or on top of canceling appointments, you know, you, mm-hmm. sometimes you get charged if you, if you don't cancel an appointment, I find uncashed checks, I find cash. So another statistic I saw the other day was that most people have about $52 in loose change floating around their house. And in my experience, it's actually way more than that. I've found hundreds of dollars in some pretty interesting places in different people's homes. People will also hang on to things and lose track of things like stock certificates or stock option agreements, savings bonds. People have expired gift cards that they can't use anymore. 
Um, they have expired food. I mean, we throw out a lot of food every year that we aren't able to use. And so that's just in terms of things that you can't keep track of in terms of organization. But I would also say that there are issues around shopping mm -hmm. and accumulating, um, buying things and then with the intention of maybe returning them and then just never making the return. Going for bargains. I always tell clients it's not a bargain if you don't ever use it. Mm -hmm. And in you know engaging in that re retail therapy, and of course it's so easy to just get online and one click, and that costs a lot of money in the long run if you haven't planned ahead about what you're purchasing. You know something else that has an impact. Interestingly, when people want to get more organized, they often buy organizing supplies. And they will go out and spend. And I love organizing supplies. I love going and looking at the containers and the bins and the labels and things like that. But people put the cart before the horse. They go out and they buy the stuff thinking that it will get them organized before they have really taken a look at what their needs are and they've worked with the stuff in their home first. And so, you know, so many times I'll be working in a home and we'll end up as we're sorting through things, we'll have a pile of organizing supplies over in the corner, some of which hasn't even been opened yet. So I really think it touches all kinds of areas in terms of losing money to be disorganized. Yes, uh, for sure. You know, one of the things that we're seeing right now is, you know, with this COVID, uh, you know, people are home now and they're working mm -hmm. from home. You know, they've got kids at home. And so, mm -hmm. you know, what are some of the things that maybe that, uh, maybe some tips, if you will, that you could share of things that people need to be thinking about of, of how they can still be productive, working from home, managing that type of thing uh, that will help them during this time. Sure. That's a really challenging question in, in several different ways. I think probably the simplest place to start is with the actual workspace. Mm -hmm. And that can be you know, tough if you don't have a dedicated room that you can use for an office. I have, of course, a lot of what I am doing now is done through video conferencing, whether I'm coaching someone or I'm doing virtual organizing sessions with someone. And I do get a little window on what kinds of work environments people are having to sort of make do with. If they're doing work from home, very often it's a spare bedroom. Sometimes there is no spared bedroom. So they're working out of a corner in the bedroom and I think those things can work, but I think there really has to be a very intentional effort at creating a space, whether it's a corner of a room or it's, you know, an entire bonus room area. I think that people have to make the decision, okay, this is the boundary, this is the workspace. I think that's first and foremost the most important thing. I think it can be really challenging if you work off of a laptop and you sort of wander from spot to spot in the home. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the morning you're in your bedroom and in the afternoon you're on the back porch, which can be nice. But if there's never a, a definition, then it's difficult to set the boundary. And so once you have chosen a spot, hopefully as quiet and as um, free of distractions as possible, setting the boundary and saying, okay, from X time to Y time, this is my organized workspace mm -hmm. and bringing into that space only the things you need for working, minimizing the things that you do not need for working 
and treating it like an office, treating it like the space that you would go to if you were going to your regular location. And then the second part of your question around managing the situation with children at home, super challenging. I don't know that I have all the answers on that one. I know that people are getting really creative when there are young children. Sometimes I know neighborhood groups are sort of organizing uh, groups where parents take turns, maybe keeping track of the younger children while the other parents can work, you know, trading off on that sort of a situation. I think too, when you have elementary school students, or even middle and high school students who are going back to a remote learning or an online learning format, they're having to do school from home. The same rules apply for them as apply to you and your workspace, setting boundaries, having a specific location. And it doesn't have to be in their room. I know sometimes parents get very uh, specific about, well, I bought them a desk and I want them to stay in their room and study, but some kids really do better in a more central location. And I think particularly with older children, you can involve them in that Mm -hmm. decision-making process. Where do you feel most comfortable studying and what do we need to put into that space and how do we set for you around it? So that Mm -hmm. when you go into the den or the home office or the the playroom or wherever it is, you're going to do your homework between certain hours, that's what happens in that space. You know, making sure that they've got everything that they need close by eliminates the need for them to go wandering around the house looking for, oh, where's an eraser, mom, or where's some, where's a glue stick? You know, making sure that those things are close to their study area, making sure that they're labeled, easy to access, and just as easy to put away. I think that's true for adults and kids, that the easier you can find what you need and the easier you can put it away again makes for great organizing systems and the ability to maintain them. Yep. Well, you know, I know that even in my, um, in my own home, uh, you know, I come home from work and, and my wife is actually uh, kind of gone back to school. And so she needs that mm-hmm. time to study. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm having to jump in there and help give her that time to, to do the things that she needs to do with school and studying and, and, uh, you know, but there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, we work with, um, a lot of uh, single moms. We've got, you know, moms that they're the only ones there in the house with the kids and that makes Mm -hmm. it very challenging. So I really like that idea. If they live in a neighborhood, you know, inner, you know, doing some, uh, uh, taking turns, watching the kids and having some play dates. I know, uh, our, our neighborhood does that from time to time, which is, which is nice. You know, an, another, another thing that, um, uh, you know, as we help our clients, uh, again, have a financial plan and, and, and teach them how to get organized as it relates to their investment planning. One of the things that, that I see in working with a lot of, uh, women, uh, that have, you know, recently gone through a divorce or have, lost a spouse, uh, the, the challenges that, that come with that, uh, at, even as it relates to organization. Uh, talk a little bit about that, because you mentioned something the other day in our conversation uh, about what's called situational disorganization. Can you talk about that for mm-hmm. just a moment? Sure. So situational disorganization, it's, um, it's, it's a term we use in the organizing industry. I don't think it's anything like an official diagnosis or anything like that, but it's, it's really when you have organizing skills, you've had a relatively organized life, 
but then something unexpected occurs and it can be positive or negative. It could be as simple as getting a new puppy, something that disrupts the regular routine. And, you know, when it's, when it's difficult, when it's tragic, it has an emotional impact and it happens to everybody. I don't think anybody escapes from situational disorganization at some point in time in their life. But the good news is, is once you've been through a life event like that, if you can recognize, okay, this is what it goes back to. If you look around and you suddenly see that you've got a lot of clutter or you've let a lot of paperwork pile up, instead of feeling badly about that, which really doesn't help you improve the situation, if you can trace it back to, oh, it sort of started when my mother went into an assisted living situation. Understanding where the distortion started helps most mm -hmm. people realize, okay, that's, that's what happened to me. That's probably why I've been a little preoccupied and I've allowed things to get, you know, to pile up and to get out of control. And so when you have that recognition of it, giving yourself a little bit of grace and being able to step back and say, okay, here's where I am now. Now I can start to make some decisions. I, as you start to pull out of whatever the, the situation is, and start to shift more into your new normal. And, you know, as we were talking about, we're all, all going through a major bout of situational disorganization right now with, with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That is a major thing that is hitting all of us at the exact same time and recognizing, okay, this is disruptive, accepting that it is, giving yourself a little bit of a break and a little bit of, like I said, a little bit of grace in terms of how you might need to do things differently and how you can adjust your organizing systems and how you can adjust your surroundings to help you move forward. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, well, you know, I was looking at your book. Uh, you've got a book called Organizing and Big and Scary Goals, uh, Working with Discomfort and Doubt to Create Real-Life Order. Uh, tell me a little bit about this book. This is as I, I was thumbing through it, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, but tell me about this book and what, you know, really what motivated you to write this book and who this book is for. Okay, great, great question. So I knew that I wanted to write a book. I really love to write. I've written my blog for as long as I have been organizing and had several people encouraging me, oh, you ought to write a book. But what I really didn't want to do was write a how-to book. Mm -hmm. There are tons of organizing how-to books out there and they're, and they're great. They, ha they all have good ideas. They all have interesting ways of approaching organization. And in many ways, they're sort of variations on a theme. They have some basic principles. I wanted to take a look at it a little differently because a lot of my clients experience situational disorganization. A lot of my clients also experience what we call chronic disorganization, where they've tried repeatedly to become more organized and, and not been successful in their attempts to be organized. And it significantly affects their quality of life. And a lot of my clients also have maybe a diagnosis of ADHD or maybe anxiety or some other issue that challenges them organizationally. So I wanted to write a book that would not only be informative and help people, but keep them engaged. And so I wrote my own story into the book and the chapters evolved into a series of, of stories. The, the first part of each chapter is a fictional story about a potential client or a potential, a person who has an organizing challenge. Those, uh, some people 
think that those are actual clients. They're not. The, the stories in the front half of the chapter are fictional, but based upon my experience and informed by my experience. And then the second half of the chapter is my part of the story with me tackling my scary goal. And then there's some questions for reflection at the end of each chapter. There is one how-to chapter, but it's just a, a suggestion. It's just a way to start, and it's, um, it's not meant to be heavy-handed. But hopefully, my story tracking along with the fictional stories helps keep, keep people interested and keep following along and looking at their own challenges with a little bit more of um, a little more creativity and a little bit more understanding that they can discover their own best way to be organized. Mm. Well, you mentioned something a while ago and uh, uh, about ADHD. Uh, and so mm-hmm. there's, I've got family members in my home that have ADHD and so, uh, mm-hmm. uh, talk about that. And cause I noticed in the book, you've, you talk specifically about ADHD and the challenges with that. And, and, uh, you know, over the years, I hear a lot of people who, who struggle with ADHD, uh, mm-hmm. with the organizational issues with that. So, so tell me what's unique. Do you like specialize and work with people with ADHD or, uh, is that an mm-hmm. area where you put a lot of emphasis or, you know, uh, how did you get started with that? Okay, let me see. I'll, I'll start with the getting started with it. Um, early in my organizing work, I, I was working with someone that I actually had known for quite a while. Uh, I'd known them prior to ever being an organizer. And, and so they were kind enough to hire me. <laughs> and we were working together, had been for several sessions. And they looked up at one point and said, oh, you know, I need to go take my medication. And I guess I probably should have shared with you that I have ADHD. And it sort of hit me like a ton of bricks because as a former teacher, I certainly knew I had students with ADHD. I had not stopped to consider, well, of course, children with ADHD grow up to be adults with ADHD. And of course, there are certain characteristics of ADHD that impact organization and productivity and time management in a lot of different ways. So when I recognized that, I recognized that I needed to learn about it. I needed to learn as much as I could since I don't have a diagnosis of ADHD. I haven't lived that experience. And I owed it to my clients who did to know something about what I was doing with it. Over time, it really just evolved more and more. I, I got calls from clients sharing that with me. I learned more. It's one reason I took the coach training that I took because that's really effective for my clients with ADHD. And there are, you know, you, you mentioned the book. I actually, I actually don't personally write about ADHD in the book. None of the clients that are fictional have ADHD. My good friend, Terry Huff, who is a local therapist who works uh, primarily with adults with ADHD, he actually wrote the, the, uh, the foreword to the book, and he referred to that. He's also written a great book called Living Well with ADHD. But I felt like, I, you know, I started to write about it in the book, and then I decided that that did not feel authentic to me. I felt like if I was going to try to write about it, that would be sort of making a blanket statement about it. And I find that even though there are some common challenges, all my clients with ADHD are so incredibly different. And I didn't want somebody to look at a chapter where I was writing and 
and specifically said that the character had ADHD and say, oh, well, that must be all that it is, or that's what it's all about. It's really hard to encapsulate it that way. So even though I think some of my clients with ADHD or someone who has ADHD might read the book and, and things will resonate with them because it is written from my observations. I didn't want to specifically say, oh, this character has it or this character has it. I really just wanted people to focus on the situations and the life events that contributed to their disorganization. Um. Well, that's that's great. The uh, the other thing that we talked about, um, uh, this is really helpful, by the way. Uh, I hope uh, you ladies out there are uh, uh, getting something from this. And uh, Sarah, how can we're not ready to end just yet, but how can uh, if someone is listening and they say, hey, you know what? I never thought about the idea of having uh, someone help me, you know, because you do coaching. We talked about that. It's like, you know, it's really about mm-hmm. learning a new skill set. And for somebody mm-hmm. who's disorganized, you know, they can actually learn how to be organized, uh, which will create mm-hmm. more order and uh, more peace of mind in their life when they do. But uh, but how can uh, how can some of the listeners contact you? Uh, if they have questions, maybe they want to talk to you. I know you do some consulting and you do some coaching and things like that. Actually, even go into the homes, or at least you were before COVID. I don't know what you're doing right now, probably through the Zoom meetings. Yeah, I'm doing most everything virtually right now, but yeah, I have gone into homes before. So yeah, thanks for the question. There's a lot of different ways to go about seeking help. I even outlined that in the book. You certainly can go to a professional organizer, I think a lot of people find that to be an incredibly supportive way to not only get organized, but learn how to maintain organization going forward. But there there are also ways to work with friends. There are ways to work with family. I think that can be tricky. There are many, many different types of professional organizers in the world. There are specialties, just like um, in, in the world of medicine, there are specialties. There are specialties in terms of professional organizing. Some of us specialize in ADHD. And I, I would say that if you have ADHD or you have it in your home, a family member is diagnosed, uh, you should, and you want to work with a professional organizer, you should ask some questions about their training in that area. I think that's really important. I also think that if, uh, if you're dealing with situational disorganization, you know, check out a couple of different professional organizers. And most of us offer a free consultation, either over the phone or sometimes in person. Ask some questions, get to know them. There has to be a rapport. You're you're letting a, pretty much a, a total stranger into your life. And you want to know if they're following ethical guidelines. One of the reasons I'm a member of NAPO is because we adhere to a code of ethics. I would highly recommend starting with NAPO as a resource for finding a quality organizer because we do adhere to the code of ethics. We take training, we take classes. Those of us who are certified have to take CEUs. We have to stay on top of our training and and new trends and so forth. Um, There are organizers who specialize in working with seniors. There are organizers who specialize in working on financial organization. They will literally go in and help you figure out how to organize either your financial files or your digital files, set up a system, help you set up a budget. There are organizers who specialize in photo organization. I mean, you name it, Glenn, there's, there's just all kinds of different ways to approach it. 
And NAPO is a good resource. The Institute for Challenging Disorganization is also a good resource for finding an organizer in your area who is a good fit for you. But be sure to ask questions. Be sure to check into um, whether or not they're a good fit for you. And what is your what is your website? So my website is skillsetorganizing.com. So S-K-I-L-L-S-E-T organizing.com. And you can find out all kinds of things about me on the website, about my training, my background. And you can also sign up for a free 30-minute consultation to see if what I do is a good fit for what you need. Well, that is, uh, that is fantastic. Well, Sarah, I think we're about out of time here. Uh, but I really appreciate you joining us. Um, I think what you do is, uh, is very interesting and, and, and something that people, you know, they don't usually think about getting help with learning how to be more organized. Uh, but you said something as we wrapped up our conversation the other day about, you know, it's uh, being organized. Some of the benefits is an act of self-care. And I love that. Uh, and being able to know what you need and ask for help uh, and the benefits that come with that are, are, are priceless. So I want to thank you, uh, for being on our, our podcast today. Uh-huh. I, uh, uh, hope thank you. You bet. It's been a pleasure. Well, it's gone by fast and I hope that all the listeners, yeah, I, I hope you, you can probably have filled another half hour, honestly. So maybe I can come back sometime. <laughs> absolutely. We'd love, we'd love to have you back, but I hope everyone got something from today. And like I said, you know how to reach Sarah And uh, till next time, have a great day. You have been listening to Her Time to Retire with Glenn Price and Jonathan Scott. Glenn and Jonathan would love to talk to you and answer any of your retirement questions. All listeners can take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation with Glenn and Jonathan, whether via a phone call, Zoom meeting, or in person. You can schedule your consultation by calling 615-661-9554 or by visiting our website at www.keystonefinancialresources.com. Thanks for listening. The opinions expressed by Keystone Financial Resources and guests on this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of this station. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, or BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Keystone Financial Resources are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents.